Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. So welcome to Plodcast. This is episode 257. I'm Douglas Wilson, and I am delighted that you have decided to join us. You know, I know you didn't have much else to do, but still, I appreciate it. So I want to talk in this segment about the sins of women. And I don't want to talk about the sins of women because I want to pick on women. What I want to do is point out something, a a real tragedy that's developed in the church. That tragedy is that Women, by and large, in our generation, are not receiving pastoral care. They're not receiving pastoral care. They're not receiving pastoral care when it comes to unique challenges and temptations for women. So let's say, let's say there's an unexpected death in someone's family, and a, a, the pastor, and let's say he's a good pastor, comes over to the house and he prays with the whole family and he encourages the whole family, and He's just really kind, and the church rallies around everything. In that sense, the woman, the wife, is receiving pastoral care, just like the husband is and just like the kids are. Everyone's receiving general pastoral care. But the kind of care that you'll see in the New Testament, where the general exhortation is given to the whole body, and then, for example, the Apostle Paul We'll start breaking it out into demographic subgroups. In the book of Ephesians, he, he gives us all kinds of general exhortations that all Christians are supposed to adopt and take to heart. But then he tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He names a particular group that doesn't contain every member of the church. Husbands are told to do this. And then he turns to the wives, and he tells the wives to do this. Then he turns to the children and tells the children to do something else, to honor your father and mother, first commandment with a promise. And then he turns to the slaves and he tells the slaves to behave in a certain way. So in Ephesians, the first three chapters are full of glorious doctrine that apply to absolutely everyone, every forgiven saint, every predestined saint, everyone who is um, written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The first three chapters apply equally to all of them. And then when he turns, therefore, he tells all the Christians to pursue, in chapter 4, to pursue the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is something, again, which all Christians are supposed to do. But at some point, he gets into the weeds. At some point, he gets into particular scenarios, and he says, now, let me speak to this quadrant of the church and not to the other quadrant. And then he turns to the wifely quadrant. Then he turns to the kids and so on. Now, everybody's reading the whole book of Ephesians. So, of course, the wives read what is being said to the husbands, and the husbands read what is being said to the wives. And that creates a temptation, does it not? The temptation is for the husband to think, well, I'm going to obey what Paul tells me to do when she starts doing what she's supposed to do. And she thinks the same thing. I'll, I'll start thinking about respecting him when he starts loving me the way he ought to uh, love me. Uh, now, we live in a time where our culture has been made hypersensitive 
because of feminism and because of all the rhetoric that's that swirls around that, there are all kinds of things where the New Testament writers don't have any problem turning to the women and saying, now, make sure that you dress modestly with modesty and decorum. Don't go in for the braided hair and the expensive jewelry. Now, I should say, that's not prohibiting a ponytail with a red rubber band. Women of the uh, first century used to have these ornate hairstyles, the upper class women. It ornate, it sort of think of uh, someone going to a royal party at Versailles, you know, where they have like beehive hairdos and, and ornate, complicated things. Where, or in the ancient world, women would have jewel, jewelry woven into their hair and then sprinkle gold dust on top of it. Uh, that kind of ostentatious display is out. So the apostles don't have any problem turning to the women and saying, now make sure you do this. Make sure the and there there are a number of specific things. They they address modesty, they address laziness when it comes to housekeeping, they address goss- gossiping, gadding about from house to house. You know, there are particular things that will be temptations for young moms or or temptations for young wives. And they they um they say that in Titus 2, the older women are to take the younger women under their wing and instruct them how to be husband lovers and children lovers and so on. Now, what's happening, you see in the pages of the New Testament that women are receiving distinctive pastoral care, pastoral care that's tailored for women as women. And that's something that's very rare in the modern church today. Very rarely will a pastor from the pulpit turn to the women and say, and you women, you need to be careful to respect your husbands, even when he's being a meathead. <laughs> Something like, you need to respect your husband. You need to, to be careful to be diligent in your housekeeping. Anything like that would cause all, any number of people in our modern era to go, go up in a sheet of flame. How, how dare you talk to the women that way? What you're, but what that demand amounts to is how dare you shepherd the women? How dare you feed the women? How dare you bring the word of God to the women? Which is just sad, right? Always will be God. So we've come once again, this is episode 257. We've come once again to our hamartiology segment, and we are treating yet another hapax, a word used only once. And the word is exitomai, which is translated in one place as desire. This is one the one place it occurs, and it's translated as desire. And we can tell from the context that it's a sinful desire. Jesus is warning Peter against his sense of self-reliance. And Jesus says this, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. So Satan hath desired to have you. There it is. Satan hath desired to have you. In other words, Satan had a very real desire to work Peter over. And as the events of the Lord's betrayal and crucifixion worked their way out, we can see that Satan got at least a portion of his wish. Peter got worked over, not, not because Peter repented and returned and was reinstated in that famous passage at the end of the Gospel of John. We can see that Satan didn't get his full desire. He didn't capture Peter completely the way he got Judas uh, completely when he entered into Judas and caused him to do what he did. But he did work Peter over. He did, he did sift him 
like wheat to a certain extent. Now, Peter was a natural leader, and when he boasted that he, had, that he, at any rate, would not deny the Lord, his bravado led the other disciples to follow him in the same pronouncement. They said, we're not, not going to do it either. And Peter's bravado was pretty pronounced, even if everyone else denies you. Even if everyone fails in this, I will be the one who does not fail. Now, as it happened, the only disciple who did not ditch the Lord in his last hour was John, the beloved disciple. So, the, the disciple who did not boast that he was not going to leave was the one who did not leave. And all the others who left had boasted that they would not. All right. So, John was the faithful one remaining there at the cross. We know that because uh, Jesus entrusts the care of Mary, his mother, to John. So, John is the beloved disciple. He is the one who is there all the way to the end. Peter had boasted that if everyone else deserts, if John deserts, in other words, he's saying, in fact, I won't. But John didn't, and Peter did. This means that uh, Satan didn't capture him completely, didn't get him completely, the way he'd done with Judas, but he did work him over for a time. So, continuing on with episode 257 of the podcast, the book I'd like to review is um, the Didache. The Didache is a um, late first century, early second century book by some Christian. It's, it purports to be the teaching of the twelve apostles. The, the name of the book is the, the Didache is the teaching, the teaching of the twelve apostles. It it represents itself as being from the apostles, and it's very, it's a very good book, and it pres- basically it presents two paths. There's the path of life and the path of death. You can go this way or you can go that way. And it has a number of interesting early church descriptions of how things are going on. Now, not every book from the early church era is to be trusted. There are, there are Gnostic gospels floating around that have got a great deal of weirdness in them. There are books that purport to be accounts of the Lord's boyhood, uh, which are not to be uh, trusted. But this is a, this is a trustworthy uh, book. It's sort of like um, Clement, who was a friend of Paul's, wrote a letter to the Corinthians. That's a very valuable book. This book, the Didache, is a very valuable book. And in it, you see a number of early church assumptions. If someone comes and they're a prophet, and they, in the spirit, they say, give me money, they're a false prophet, have nothing to do with them, that sort of thing. How, uh, you know, baptismal practices, it's, it's just a, it's a very fascinating book. Uh, I listened to it on, I've read it before, but I uh, recently got a copy of it on Audible and listened to it and enjoyed that very much. And the, the reader was uh, very good, very professional. I realized at one point in the proceedings that he was clearly not a Christian. He was just a hired gun professional reader. And the reason I knew he was not a Christian was he was citing a verse reference and he said Colossians. <laughs> so Colossians was something or other. But other than that, get, get hold of the Didache and you'll be edified.